Welcome to the Mount Olive Baptist Church podcast. I'm Pastor Carl Stokes, and we appreciate you being here today with us. Our desire is to preach the Word of God effectively and clearly so that you can understand God's desire for you in your life. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians chapter 1 is where we'll be this morning. And uh, we're in the midst of a study called The Right Turn. And last week we looked at a uh, uh, what I called uh, Living Right. And whenever you think of the Olympic Games, you think of... Uh, Two things that'll always happen. Uh, you can always bet on the fact that during the Olympic Games, there will be the thrill of victory for those who are able to attain victory. It's for them, for many of them, it is a lifelong dream to be able to compete on a world level and be able to be recognized for all of their hard work. Many of those Olympic athletes, they spend uh, all day, every day, preparing uh, uh, for the Olympics, and uh, it is the culmination for many of them of a lifelong uh, pursuit of excellence in that field. Uh, a lot of the, the uh, participants, uh, when they're younger, spend all of their day, their first part of the day in school, and then the rest of their day until uh, late in the evening uh, practicing their uh, sport and practicing their ability to do that sport the best they can. Um, Teresa Skadelober, I'm, I'm probably mispronouncing that name. Uh, she was a, a, a skier for the Australian ski team. And she was participating in the uh, event in Korea, uh, North Korea uh, during the Olympics and she participated in uh, the uh, sport of downhill skiing and uh, the event that she was participating in, she was on her way to uh, receiving the silver medal and while it not being the gold medal coming in second place in the world is not a, a bad place to be uh, uh, she knew that she was going to be on the podium at the end of her event and she was uh, her event is 30 kilometers and she was she only had seven kilometers left of the cross-country skiing event and she was on her way to getting the silver medal. And so as she was making her way down the hill, she was coming down the hill and made a right turn. Unfortunately, the path that all the skiers were supposed to take was a left turn. And as she continued on, she knew immediately that she had uh, made a mistake and she started to try and correct her mistake. But unfortunately, uh, by the time that she uh, finally corrected herself, she came in 12th at the end of the event. So she went from being at second place 
to winding up not even being on the podium and the event. When uh, she spoke with reporters, she said she knew that she had made a mistake. And she, in fact, she had made two mistakes and she was not able to correct her course quick enough in order to finish the event and to be able to medal. And uh, so uh, this kind of thing happens in life uh, when... Uh, the good news is is that uh, her mistake didn't cost her her life, but for a lot of people, when they make the wrong turn, it does cost their life. It, it is a kind of choice in life that means the difference between life and death. Last week we talked about living right, and this week, uh, as with so many other things, I think it's important for us to also understand that it's also important to die right, because regardless of what you may think, no matter who you are, you're uh, all of us are going to live, and all of us eventually, unless the Lord returns, are going to die. And so it's important for us to understand how to live right, and then it's equally important for us to understand how to die right. And so this morning I want you to turn with me to the book of Philippians to chapter 1. This is a a letter of Paul to the church at Philippi. And and Paul is uh, just some background as to where we are in this letter Paul has been in prison for sharing his faith. He is uh, he was in the midst of of sharing the gospel uh, as he was going through a missionary journey, and uh, some of the Pharisees uh, wanted to um, take him out. So he had been constantly berated and constantly uh, chased by those who wanted to undo what he was doing. Uh, Paul was uh, went into an area in which he started sharing the gospel, though what led to his arrest was the fact that uh, some silversmiths that were making their money creating uh, idols out of silver, they uh, uh, saw that people were turning away from uh, following the uh, this idol, and so it hurt their bottom line. It hurt their business, and so they said, "Well, we need to get uh, rid of Paul because people are not following after Christ uh, uh, after uh, this idol, and they're not ordering the idol, so that uh, uh, it supports our business." So uh, what they did was they accused Paul of various things and caused them to be arrested, and Paul was on the cusp of being released and being let go and he appealed to Caesar. Now, uh, Paul had the right as a Roman citizen to do that. Any Roman citizen uh, first had the right of not being beaten and jailed without uh, being tried first. And, the, and of course, this is something that we take for granted as citizens of the United States. We uh, understand that, that we have certain rights and Paul had certain rights as a Roman citizen as well. The, and so uh, the other right that Paul had as a Roman citizen was is that if he felt as though he was not being judged and treated fairly, he, as a Roman citizen, had the right to appeal to Caesar, to take his case before Caesar, and for them to take him from wherever he was in the Roman Empire to Rome to make his case before Caesar. And so Paul is, uh, has done that and he has been taken to Rome and he is in the Mamertine prison and he is 
<laughs> while he's there, he's continuing to teach, continuing to share his faith, and he's also writing letters to churches. Look with me at this passage of Scripture, and uh, thank you, <coughs> at Philippians 1, and <coughs> looking at Scripture, starting in verse 19 of chapter 1. Philippians 1, chapter 19. Again, let me stress that Paul is writing this while he's in jail. And he's writing to them about the fact that he is in jail and also his desire to come and be with them. He says in verse 19, he says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectations and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, now, uh, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So what Paul is talking about here is the, the shame and the, uh, the stigma of being someone who is in prison. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And Paul is, is there in prison and he says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. What's he talking about there? He's talking about his belief and his faith of what he says in the preceding verses about uh, being delivered from this shame, this reproach of being in jail. It's not certain what, whether or not Paul believed that he was uh, going to be released or whether or not he's talking about uh, the fact that he is uh, going to be released through the fact that he is uh, facing a death sentence. Uh, it's very real possibility that Paul uh, is talking about uh, the fact that he may uh, not firmly believe that he is is coming out of jail, going to be found uh, to be innocent, being released, and being uh, uh, vindicated in and the judgment against him. But he also uh, it, it's also apparent that. Either way, Paul believes that God is going to be glorified in his actions, that God uh, is going to uh, use what he has done for his glory. And, and Paul says, For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. Paul believes that uh, through the, the prayer and support of the church at Philippi, that God will turn the tables and allow him... Uh, Paul's already seen that, that his incarceration has allowed him to speak before individuals that he normally would not have the opportunity to speak. He's been able to share the gospel with governors, with uh, with uh, those who are uh, in charge and those who are uh, rulers, and he is now going to be able to face Caesar himself and to be able to share his testimony with Caesar. And Paul is taking this view of while it's not nice and not good to be in jail, 
Nobody likes being in jail. Not even, let me tell you a little secret, not even the, uh, the guards that are in jail with the inmates like being in jail. Even though it's their job, they, uh, being, in, uh, being a guard many times felt like you were uh, incarcerated right along with the inmates. Because uh, For me at least it was when I was uh, working as a correctional officer in South Carolina. I, it wasn't even my full-time job. I was just filling in and helping out here and there. And it seemed like when I'd go and work, it seemed like, I, well, I was stuck there. You, they put you, uh, you might be in the control booth. You might be in there uh, uh, doing all this stuff to open doors and all of that. I knew that at the end of my shift, I could walk out of the jail and go home. But guess what? For 12 hours, I was stuck. I was an inmate for 12 hours at a time uh, because of the fact that I couldn't get out of uh, the jail and leave. It was uh, uh, The jail was operated with maybe three or four uh, correctional officers and we had uh, 80 plus inmates that we were in charge of. That's a lot of work to do for four people to be in charge of, of a situation like that. But you couldn't just simply walk out of your job if, you didn't, if, it, if the pressure was getting too much for you. You didn't like uh, the situation you were in. And I, I, I really firmly felt like I was more of uh, like a bellboy to these inmates than I was an actual correctional officer because they'd call me up and they'd say, what time is it? I'd have to tell them what time it was. Hey, can you change the channel on the communal TV over here? Uh, do this, do that. And, and I was constantly being told what to do. I had no choice in the matter. I couldn't just uh, say, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, uh, no, I don't want to open those doors. Y'all, y'all quit uh, bothering me. I, don't want, I just want to sit at my desk for a little while and take a, a little snooze. I couldn't do any of that. Uh, I was just as much an inmate as they were. And I didn't get any of the benefits of, of the food and all that kind of stuff that they got. But uh, anyway, nobody likes being in jail. Paul is in jail and he's saying uh, in spite of the stigma of being placed in prison and being a prisoner in Rome, I know that Christ is going to be glorified, that Christ is going to be lifted up, that His message of His salvation is being taught. And Paul found something in what he was doing to be of value, and that was living for Christ. And so he says, uh, I know that your efforts to pray are going to bring about my salvation, allow me to, uh, to end my time here in prison. And he says, part of the reason why is, uh, the second part of verse 19 says, and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Uh, there are many who want to, to say, well, uh, Paul is is not uh, saying a, a different spirit. He's he's calling this the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He's he's referring to the Spirit that Jesus alluded to at the end of Matthew chapter twenty eight when he was about to uh, ascend into heaven. He said, "When I leave," he was speaking to his disciples. He said, "I'm going to send another like me." just like me. He's going to be your comforter. He's going to be with you. And He's going to go with you everywhere that you go. And everywhere that you go in my name, there I'll be with you always. Paul was saying, 
because the Spirit of Jesus Christ is with me, I know that my salvation is at hand. I know that I'm where I'm supposed to be. I know that I should uh, uh, that whether I stay here or whether I'm released, I am where I should be. That's a hard thing to say in the midst of a jail. That's a hard thing to, to grasp when everything inside of you is telling you, I'm not where I'm supposed to be. I want to be with my family. I want to be out and being productive. I want to uh, not be stigmatized with this as being in jail. But Paul is saying, I'm here because Christ wants me to be here and I'm here and doing what He wants me to do. He says in verse 20, "...according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death." Paul says, I'm going to face my death, and this is a very real possibility. Paul says, uh, I know regardless, first of all, uh, what did we say? That as long as you're in the will of God and as long as you're in the will of Christ, that you'll always be liberated. You'll always be set free. Paul said, they can keep my body here all, uh, all they want, but eventually I will be set free. So the first way to, to die right is to realize that uh, our liberty, our freedom comes at, with Jesus Christ. And, that, and in, it comes in the midst of understanding and knowing that as long as you're doing what Christ wants for you to, to do, as long as you're doing the will of God, as long as you're living for Jesus and doing what, uh, what Jesus wants for your life, you're always free. You're always doing what God wants you to do. Secondly, Paul says here in verse 20, not only am I uh, going to be set free and that I'm going to rejoice at, at all of that because of being in the Spirit of Jesus, but he says um, that he says, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. He's saying, secondly, I'm going to pray and I urge you to pray for me that, that I'll do nothing to be ashamed. That everything that I do will be to magnify Jesus Christ. Have you uh, ever uh, prayed that prayer in your life? When you get up each morning, now most of us, uh, all of us here are not in jail because, well, we're here. And so we're not in jail, but... Um, Paul said, despite being in jail, I'm going to pray that nothing that I do will cause shame to Jesus Christ. Nothing that I do. And we ought to pray that when we're in our job, when we're in, our, uh, in school, or when we're going about our business in uh, our day-to-day -day life, that in everything that we do, we should not bring shame and reproach to Jesus, but that rather that we would uh, express uh, the love of Jesus Christ and be able to share with others what Christ has done. He said, uh, because it's my desire to have the boldness to go out and to share uh, my faith with others, that in all things that I might magnify Jesus Christ, have boldness to share. Paul associates this feeling of shame 
as a hindrance to being bold for Christ. And it doesn't that make sense? I mean, when you're ashamed about... Um, <coughs> When you're ashamed about an aspect of your life, if, you're, if you feel shame about a haircut, you put on a ball cap and you don't uh, uh, go without a hat uh, very much, you pull it down over your head so nobody recognizes you, put on sunglasses. Uh, if you have shame about maybe um, uh, a tooth being knocked out, you kind of go around with your, te- with your lips over your teeth and you don't smile and you make sure that uh, you go to the dentist and get it uh, corrected as quickly as possible or you have problems with something else you try and hide our shame causes us to hide causes us to have uh, a a desire to not show that and express that to other people Paul said because I'm not ashamed about uh, my relationship with Jesus Christ he says instead I hope to have the, the opposite reaction which is boldness have you ever wondered if the reason that you're not bold about your faith is because you might have a sense of shame about your faith? <coughs> Most of us in church would say, you know, well, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of my faith. But unfortunately, in a lot of the things that we encounter out in the world when we're not here together with other uh, members of faith, it's hard to have a boldness of your faith, isn't it, sometimes? When, uh, for instance, uh, uh, if the other day I was watching video of the, uh, uh, the parades that went on in Boston not too long ago where one group uh, was marching and a counter group was marching against them and they were shouting back and forth and all of that. It's hard to, to profess your faith in a, a circumstance where everybody is, is trying to, uh, to shout down one another. and to, it, it's, it's much easier to profess your faith when you're here with a bunch of other Christians and you're in a church and you're in an environment where everyone is expressing their faith. But put you in a situation where you're in the midst of a challenging circumstance, say in the midst of the marketplace or in the midst of uh, your job, in the midst of a situation where a crowd is forming around you that is uh, expressing uh, their feelings that are contrary to yours, how easy is it to just simply just keep quiet and and, and not say anything about uh, your faith in Jesus Christ? Uh, if you're in the midst of a crowd of people that are expressing their uh, their uh, disdain for people that are a people of faith. Uh, like, for instance, uh, y'all saw on the news this past week where they opened a Chick-fil-A in Toronto. Did y'all see that? Uh, they opened a Chick-fil-A in, in Canada and it created protests by people from the LB, LGB, uh, LBGTQAII group, you know, those uh, people that waved the color, colorful flags, and uh, also people that were 
protesting against the killing and the slaughter of animals, the PETA people. And so you had two groups that were sitting there shouting at people as they're just trying to go in and get a chicken sandwich. And uh, they're just trying to go in and enjoy a Chick-fil-A sandwich. I mean... What would you do? How would you feel if you went to Thomasville and you went to go to Chick-fil-A and all of a sudden there was a crowd of people around you that were shouting and screaming at you because you were going into Chick-fil-A to eat a sandwich? I mean, you might think twice about going to Chick-fil-A. Maybe you'd go to Hardee's instead or, or somewhere else. But because it's our natural inclination to try and steer clear of, of uh, confrontation, to steer clear of those who are uh, mad at you and, and wanting to shout at you. But Paul said, look, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of what Jesus Christ has done. He says, I'm not ashamed of, what, of the situation that I'm in here in jail or the fact that I might be facing death. He says, all of that has been wiped away by the fact that I'm, I know that where I'm supposed to be because of the Spirit of Jesus. And he says, uh, I have received boldness because of the fa- of that fact, and it is that boldness is being magnified in my body, and I am uh, going about sharing my faith with boldness. Whether it, he says, and he says, whether it's by life or death, he says it doesn't matter if I'm vindicated and released, and I get to go and visit you in Philippi, or whether it is through my death. He says, either way. I know I'm where I'm supposed to be and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ has given me a boldness to profess my faith. Now look at verse 21. He sums it up with that verse that we're all familiar with. He says, Because for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Have you ever broken that verse down and and to try and understand exactly what it's really all about? I know a lot of people talk about, well, Paul's saying for me to live is Christ. He's saying uh, for me to live, I'm, I'm able to, to testify to other people about Jesus Christ. I'm able to go about uh, sharing the gospel. I'm able to uh, live in Christ and, and it is for the benefit of Christ. But have you ever thought that uh, what Paul is really talking about is really uh, about that that indwelling of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. That he's, he's talking about the fact that he says, if, whether I live or die, Christ will be magnified. Christ will be shared because of the boldness that He's given me. Because of the Spirit of Christ that is indwelling me. Because of the fact that He said that the Comforter, the Holy Spirit will be upon us. And He says that... Uh, boldness and that opportunity to share. If I live and and Christ and God chooses to allow me to live, He says, if I live, then Christ is going to be, uh, His message is going to be shared. His message of His love about the fact that He died in my place on the cross. Paul says it doesn't matter. Uh, he says uh, now. A lot of people say with his next statement. He says, for me to live is Christ, but for me to die is gain. They want to say, well, Paul is is talking about here that he's saying, you know, 
If I'm executed because of my faith, if I'm executed and I no longer live on this earth, he says, then that means that I, I get to be free and go uh, to be with, in heaven with Jesus Christ. I get to uh, be liberated from this. But think about what Paul has been saying. Paul has been saying that his life is wrapped up in this opportunity to share his faith, to be able to share the love of Jesus Christ, which should be our desire, right? Amen? Uh, Our hope is not that we come together as followers of Jesus Christ and all we do is sing a few hymns, say a few prayers, and we pat ourselves on the back because we've come to church and we're good people because we've been in church. That's not our hope at Mount Olive Baptist Church. Our hope here at Mount Olive Baptist Church is not that we'll simply just uh, check off boxes on our offering envelope and feel have a sense of accomplishment because we're able to check the fact that we were in attendance on Sunday morning. No, our hope is that by growing closer to Jesus Christ, growing closer in our understanding of what Christ wants for our life, that we'll have a greater boldness to share our faith with others and that we'll go forth and do the things that that God calls us to do. We'll go forth and share the message of Jesus Christ with the lost and dying world. That is our hope. So, as with Paul, our desire is, is not just simply to come each week to church, which I hope you do. But we come here to, uh, to church so that we're encouraged, so that we're uh, uh, enriched, so that we are uh, filled with the message of Christ, so that we can then take that message out into the world, that we have been so filled with the, the message of Jesus Christ and so filled with, with the truth and the wisdom of His Word that we'll then be able to take it out and everywhere we go that it'll just come pouring out of us like a... uh, Have you ever tried to finish the last little bit of milk in a milk carton and you find that you have a little bit too much milk for your cup but you don't have enough milk in the carton to just leave that last little tiny little bit in the carton... At least you shouldn't. You know, you should just uh, finish it up and throw away the carton instead of leaving the carton in the refrigerator with just a tiny little skim of milk. Right? Right, ladies? That's what we're supposed to do. As as men, we're supposed to learn that. uh, But we have a tendency of wanting to just... Put, get what we want and put it back in there regardless. Well, uh, the what you do is you pour it in your cup and then you find the fact that you can't move your cup because why? There's so much milk in it that if you move it, it's going to spill out, right? And what you're supposed to do, what I learned as a young man is, is you take a sip and then you fill it, finish filling it up, right? That way you can move your cup around. But uh, But if you fill up your cup so much that it's all the way to the top, if you're not careful, you're going to spill it. We hope that when you come to church, 
that the Spirit of God so fills you up that no matter what you do in life, you're spilling out the Spirit of God in your life. That everywhere you go, you're dripping a little bit of that Holy Spirit into the lives of other people. That you're sharing with other people about what Christ is doing in your life and you can't help but be infectious about what Christ has done in your life. You can't help when you go and you're getting some gas at the gas station when you go in to pay that you that you talk to that person that's, that's so uh, tired and worn out behind the register and wishing for the end of the day that you go in and encourage them, that you share with them the fact that Jesus Christ has filled your life and every moment of your life is a wonderful celebration of the love of Jesus Christ. That when you go and you're uh, paying your bill at City Hall for your water, that you're making sure to smile and that you're making sure to, to tell that lady that's taking your money for your water bill that how much God has blessed you and how you've been enriched by the living water of Jesus Christ and, and that everything that He has done for your life has just made your life so much more beautiful and, and you want to share with them how they can know that in their life as well. How when you go to uh, Taco Bell or you go to Hardee's or you go uh, to McDonald's or wherever you go to go out to eat, that when you talk to the people that are uh, serving you, that you have this just big beautiful smile and and you get interested in their life and you start a conversation so you can share with them about the love of Jesus Christ and that you can share with them about what Christ has done in your life and that you can share with them the joy that comes with knowing Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's what we're supposed to be doing as we come. And when we come back here, we can then share with each other about all the opportunities that the Spirit of God opened up for us to share with other people and that we get excited and we uh, get someone else in our church excited about sharing their faith with someone else. And that we get excited about learning about what God wants for us out of His Word so that we can then share that with other people when uh, opportunity arises. That's what life is supposed to be about. And Paul's saying here, if I live, then Christ in me gets an opportunity to share that with other people. So why would he want to die? Why would dying be such a wonderful thing if all it is is an escape hatch to be with God? Yes, that is something that Paul looks forward to. But what he's really saying here is, is that if I die because I'm sharing my faith, then I get to be a martyr for Jesus Christ. I get to die for the one who died for me. I get to give my life and give my life totally for Jesus Christ by dying for Him. It's not so that He gets to escape and be out of prison and go on to heaven. That's not what He's saying. What He's saying here instead is, is that even in my death, I choose to live and choose to die for Jesus Christ. And so to die right means that we, that we live in boldness until the time that, that we uh, are taken from this world, that we live in such a way that His Spirit is living in and through us in everything that we do. And then at the very end, when God does take us from this place, that even our death will be an opportunity to share with others about the love of Jesus Christ. That's dying right. We need to live right and we need to die right. And I hope and pray that you will understand how Christ gives you those opportunities every day of your life. And that as you live, that you live for Jesus. And that as you die, 
And as we all come to that point in which we die, that we have the same attitude as Paul, that we might die for Jesus Christ. Die so that He might receive the glory and honor. Let's pray. Dear Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You so much for Your great love. We praise You for the opportunity that You give us to live for You. And yes, Lord, one day to die for You. Lord, help us to understand how we should live for You every day. And in every moment, share the love of Christ. And that even in our death, that we might do that to Your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.